In the movie The Princess Bride, there is a battle of wits between two characters, Vicini, a Sicilian man of genius, and the main character, Wesley. For those who have seen it, you know it's a great example of the old switcheroonie, which suggests a surprising change or a reversal that takes place. Would it surprise you if I told you that the Gospel of Matthew is full of unexpected references? In today's episode, we'll introduce you to the Gospel and give some examples of how you've probably been misreading it for years. Welcome to episode 86. It's an introduction to the Gospel of Matthew. And I'm titling it, Recognizing the Old Switcheroonie. This is Greg Hall, and you've found your way to the beginning of the Matthew study. Congratulations. And just to let you know, this podcast series on Matthew is part of a larger study that I've put together. And if you're someone that would like to study the gospel in more detail as we walk through it here on the podcast, you can head over to RethinkingScripture.com, click on the Studies link in the header, and there you will find the Matthew study. And that includes short lessons that you can fill out for each chapter. There's teaching videos and a whole lot more. And best yet, it's free. It's all free. So if that sounds inviting, head on over to RethinkingScripture.com, take a look at it and see if that might be a good fit for you. And like I said in the last episode, we're getting back to our roots with this Matthew study. We'll be walking chapter by chapter through the gospel. And Matthew is a long book. It's got 28 chapters. So this is not a light undertaking. But even though it'll take a long time, we'll be moving through it surprisingly fast. And like most of my activities here on the podcast, during our study of Matthew's gospel, I'll be challenging you to rethink what you thought you already understood about Scripture, specifically here, where it's in the book of Matthew. And I think I know what some of you are thinking. Why are we going through another gospel? We've already been through John's gospel here on the podcast. And I mean, let's be serious. Isn't one gospel enough? Well, unfortunately, that's how a lot of people approach the New Testament. Many people know that there are four Gospels, and some know that three of the four Gospels are very similar in content. And even though Matthew, Mark, and Luke share the majority of their content, they arrange it in different ways to highlight different themes. So we know there are four Gospels, but only a few of us can distinguish the differences between them. In fact, it's, in our modern day, become very popular to use something that's called a harmony of the Gospels. These are books that attempt to string the events of all the Gospels into one timeline, trying to maybe guess the order in which they all happened. And while Gospel harmonies are helpful in one sense, they can be dangerous. Now, why would I say that? Dangerous because they assume that the text is trying to present the events of Jesus's life in a linear format. In other words, 
in the correct order that they happened. But that's not the purpose of the gospel writers. They are telling a completely different story, a thematic one. And oftentimes, their main concern is presenting the story of Jesus thematically, above trying to fit it somehow into a timeline of his life. And I know that sounds a bit heretical when I say it, but modern readers, we've been taught that for the story of the Bible to be true, it must be true on all points. In other words, there can be no literary license granted to the authors of the text if that text is to be true. We're often told that for the Bible to be true, the timelines within the Bible must be 100% accurate. Uh, an example, the genealogies, they have to be 100% accurate, and every word has to be 100% accurate. And if any of those are off, even just a little, then the whole house of biblical inerrancy quickly falls down. And that is why we are going through the book of Matthew, because Matthew starts with a genealogy. You remember, the, the one you skip over every Christmas to get to the better story of Jesus' birth? Well, in the next episode, we'll be picking our way through that genealogy, and we will find out that it's not complete. In fact, it's not even close to complete. And that's okay. And we're also going to find out that Matthew places events in a different order than some of the other Gospels. At times, his word choice varies from the other Gospels, and all of that is okay. It doesn't diminish the text at all. The authors of all the Gospels, they aren't trying to solve our problems. They're speaking into their own context first and foremost. And their context didn't include many of our definitions for what makes something true and trustworthy. And despite what you've been told, sometimes when we read the text literally, it's even possible to misunderstand what they wrote because they were often describing the upside-down circumstances of their day. Back then, what the people were calling sin wasn't really sin. And what the people assumed was necessary for someone to follow God was really anything but. And for those reasons, this gospel and all the gospels set themselves up to have the old switcheroony as a common theme. And let me just say that switcheroony is my term. I grew up saying the old switcheroony, but just recently when I Googled it, it came up as the old switcheroo. So somewhere along the line, I think misunderstood what I was hearing and repeated it incorrectly, and then that just stuck. So it's the old switcheroony as far as I'm concerned. And I love this idea because it pops up in popular culture all the time. Back in the Seinfeld show, Jerry defined it as, you know, when you poison your drink and then switch it with the other person's drink. But when I looked up the old switcheroony, it defines it as a surprising change or reversal. And the example they gave is if your mom replaces the cookies in the cookie jar with plums, your dad might say, she pulled the old switcheroo. 
So the old switcheroony is a surprising change or reversal of the way things are perceived. And that's what Jesus's whole ministry is. It contrasts the rules that govern the kingdom of heaven with the rules that the fallen world has come to know as truth. It's all one big switcheroonie. And we'll be using Matthew's gospel to highlight some of these unexpected reversals. We'll be looking at several themes as we move through the Gospel of Matthew. And if you stick with us, you'll get to know Matthew a little better as an author. And my hope is that you'll begin to understand his distinctives over maybe the other Gospel writers. And you'll appreciate his writing style a lot and his command of the biblical timeline. And that's because he used hyperlinks back to the Old Testament themes quite often. And he links back to these Old Testament themes to suggest that things are not as they appear in the Israel of Jesus's day. And because they're not as they appear, some of the time we are prompted to read between the lines of the biblical text to understand what's actually going on. So let's just get into some examples of this. For instance, Matthew describes Jesus's ministry as a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies. He does this a lot throughout the book. In fact, in the first four chapters, he does it 10 times alone. What does that look like? Well, the first one happens pretty early on. It's in the first chapter, verses 22 and 23, where he frames it this way. Now, all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. And then he quotes the Old Testament prophet, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. So maybe more so than the other gospel writers, Matthew is intentionally along the way letting us know that this ministry that he's writing about, the ministry of Jesus, it is prefigured in the Old Testament. His ministry was something that people were looking forward to. They were expecting it, and even though they were expecting it, it's not at all like they imagined. Secondly, Matthew describes Jesus as a fulfillment of Old Testament characters. Now, this happens in the other Gospels too, but Matthew kind of hones in on this in different ways. Like, for instance, Matthew wants to present Jesus as a king because he is an heir to the throne of David. So that's why he begins with the genealogy in chapter 1. Next week, what we'll notice is that David is featured in that genealogy. It's Matthew's attempt to tie Jesus to the kingly role. But it's not just David as an Old Testament character that Matthew tries to describe Jesus as the fulfillment of. Matthew presents Jesus as a prophet like Moses. And this is actually something that The people were looking forward to. Back in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15, Moses says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your countrymen, and you shall listen to him. So the expectation is given in the Old Testament 
that someone like Moses would be coming. What does that mean, though? I mean, in what ways was Jesus like Moses? And this is what Matthew, as an author, does differently than the other gospel authors. And to help us see this, let's just jump into Matthew chapter 2, starting uh, here in verse 16. Matthew is the only one of the gospel writers that covers the slaughter of the boys in Bethlehem. Now, knowing that Matthew tries to present Jesus as a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies, and knowing that Matthew is also presenting Jesus as one like Moses, this expected character that would show up, Let me just ask this question. Where in the Old Testament have we heard about the killing of baby boys? Well, that's the story of Moses. Pharaoh in Egypt tries to kill all the Hebrew baby boys because the Hebrews are becoming strong as a people. And Pharaoh is afraid that the Hebrews may eventually threaten his position of power. So when we come into the New Testament, Matthew chooses to highlight a story about Herod, who is in a position of power and decides to kill Jewish baby boys because he thinks one of them might grow up and challenge his position of power. I hope you can see Matthew is presenting Herod as the new Pharaoh. Now, along those same lines, if Herod of Jesus' time is the new Egyptian Pharaoh of Moses' time, and if Jesus is the new Moses that was expected, then what role does the land of Israel play? And this is where a lot of you haven't gone in your reading of Matthew's gospel, but it's important we understand this. The Israel of Jesus' day is the new Egypt. It's a land of bondage. Does that make sense? Let me ask it this way. Where were the first Passover lambs slaughtered? They were slaughtered in Egypt. The New Testament shares with us that Christ is our Passover, and he is slaughtered in the new Egypt, the land of Israel. And I know what some of you are thinking already because you're half a step ahead of me. Doesn't the scripture say, out of Egypt I called my son, and that Jesus fulfilled that by coming back from Egypt? Well, that may be the way that you've read it your entire life. That may even be the way that your pastor has told you it should be read. But let's go back into Matthew chapter 2. Verse 13 says that after the wise men had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. So the text says that Joseph got up and took the child and his mother while it was still night and left for Egypt. He remained there until the death of Herod. And then Matthew pulls out the Old Testament reference. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. Now, in one sense, Jesus was brought back from Egypt. I'm not questioning that fact at all. But in the context of Matthew's gospel, 
What Matthew is suggesting is that because Jesus had to flee from Israel, Israel is Egypt. In Jesus' story, he fleed from the danger to a place of safety. The place of safety is the country of Egypt. And this is a prime example of the old switcheroonie. Because you would expect Egypt to be the place where Jesus wouldn't be safe and that he would be called out of that situation because that's the Old Testament story. Matthew is using a surprising change or reversal in what you expect. It's the old switcheroonie. He is suggesting that the place where Jesus is not safe is in his own land. And this Israel-Egypt comparison is just one example of a theme with an unexpected connection and a bit of an ironic twist. So as we approach the book of Matthew, let's expect that God often doesn't give us what we expect. (laughs) And we'll have to get used to that one. So let's close today with a little introduction to the author of our gospel. And I'll point out that Christian tradition ascribes this gospel to Matthew the Apostle, also known as Levi in the text. And I suspect that most churches today would totally agree with that. But you need to understand that if you go out and do some research on the old internet out there— Some of the modern critics, in fact, I would say most modern critics, challenge the idea that this book was actually written by the Apostle Matthew. But that shouldn't be a surprise to anybody because modern critics challenge the authorship of literally every book of the Bible. I'm not going to go into great detail on this in the podcast, but you can do your own research I'll just let you know that I am one that suspects that the disciple Matthew's hand was heavily involved in the presentation of this gospel. And I approach the text from that perspective. So who is Matthew? Well, it's in his gospel in chapter 9 where he introduces himself to the reader. It's a pericope, a section called The Calling of Matthew. And he describes himself in Matthew 9 verse 9, as a man called Matthew who is sitting at the tax collector's booth. He's a tax collector. In other words, he would gather taxes for the Roman government, uh, the government that occupied Israel at the time. And one of the resources that I'll be using throughout our walk through the Gospel of Matthew is a book called Commentary on the New Testament Use of the Old Testament. It was edited by Gregory Beale and D.A. Carson. And the reason I like this book is because it walks through the whole of the New Testament. And every time there's a reference or an allusion to an Old Testament verse or even just a thought, this book does a great job of sending you back to that original context in the Old Testament to understand what it meant there and suggest for you what that might mean in the New Testament context, which, by the way, is a completely different context. So, the commentary on the New Testament use of the Old Testament. Great, 
reference if you're looking for something uh, to help you through your reading of the New Testament specifically. In that book, under this uh, calling of Matthew in chapter 9, Craig Blomberg has written an article, and I'm just going to read to you just a section out of the beginning of this. He says, table fellowship, uh, having a meal, this is what Jesus does with Matthew later in this uh, context. Table fellowship in ancient Israel was reserved for intimate friends and usually implied as an endorsement of the practices of those with whom one associated. Tax collectors were notorious for raking in more than Rome demanded for taxes. He says that the occupation of tax collector was traitorous enough even when they did not charge excessive fees to line their own pockets. So Matthew, this character who ended up writing a gospel, when he encountered Jesus, his job was to not only gather what Rome wanted, but also to gather more so he could keep some for himself. And let me just suggest he's probably not anyone's favorite neighbor up there in Galilee. He's from Galilee, but he is working for Rome, the occupier. Well, let me just read through the text. Again, uh, we're going to pull out the old (laughs) switcheroonie at the end. And so let's listen carefully to the text of Matthew 9, 9 through 13. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he, meaning Matthew, got up and followed him. Then it happened that as Jesus was reclining at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were dining with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why is your teacher eating with the tax collectors and sinners? But when Jesus heard this, he said, And the text implies that he's saying this probably to the larger group there that day. But more specifically, he's saying it to the Pharisees in view of the larger group. And what does Jesus say? It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn. So he's telling the Pharisees this. Go and learn what this means. And then he quotes a line out of the prophet Hosea in the Old Testament. I desire compassion and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So let's break away from the biblical text for just a minute and head back up to verse 10. It's the first mention of tax collectors and sinners. And let's take a look at this description for just a minute. Because at first, it seems pretty straightforward. We're supposed to understand Jesus as describing Matthew and his friends to be tax collectors and sinners. But let me ask you the question, whose description is this? Is it really Jesus' description of those people? As we move through the passage, verses 11 through 13 shows us something completely different. Tax collectors and sinners is how the Pharisees describe them. And it's Jesus who corrects their presumption. I mean, let's back away from this for just a second. We know this already. 
The Pharisees are the ones with the religious problem. They're the ones that don't believe that Jesus has been sent from God. The people that don't have a faith problem are the ones that accept him for who he is and who he claims to be. So who really are the sinners at this dinner party? The people Jesus is eating with are called tax collectors and sinners, but it's really the Pharisees who are the ones that are sinning. And that's what Jesus corrects. Let's look at his first statement. It's not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. You may have always read that as the sick referring to the tax collectors and sinners. But that's not what Jesus is saying, because in the very last statement in verse 13, he outlines exactly what he means by that. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And it's a wordplay because he could have just as easily said, I did not come to call the self-righteous, but those who know they are sinners. And what do we know about sinners who have accepted the words of Jesus and follow him? We know that through their faith, they are considered righteous by God. This is the old switcheroony. And as we read through this gospel, I just beg of you, let's not get too caught up in the external description of who people are and what we've come to expect them to be. Let's first and foremost try to focus on the condition of their hearts as best as we can from the text. And I would encourage you to do that not just when you read the Bible, but do the same thing in your everyday life. Sometimes, We think we know someone because of what they do, the job that they've had. And sometimes people think they know us because of what we do and the job that we have. But let's always remember that it's the condition of the heart that is most important. And sometimes, in fact, often, God likes to pull an old switcheroony just to keep us guessing. I mentioned earlier that Jesus uses a line from the prophet Hosea. It's the one, I desire compassion and not sacrifice. That original quote brings in the idea of exile. That's the original context of the Old Testament prophet. And let me just suggest to you that by using that particular verse, Jesus is probably suggesting that because the Pharisees can't see that they are sick, that they're the ones that need help, that they have desired sacrifice over compassion, it's an indication that the exile has never ended. So even though a portion of the nation, the Jews, came back into the land, the land of Israel is to be understood as a land of godless exile. This is what Matthew is going for. In more than one sense, the Israel of Jesus' day is just like Egypt and Babylon and Assyria, the Old Testament places of exile. And it's not because Rome is the occupier, because that's not Jesus' point. Jesus rarely, if ever, had a problem with Rome. The occupier, from Jesus' standpoint, is the religious temple leadership. They are holding some of God's true followers hostage simply by defining them with jobs and titles. 
That's what the religious system of Jesus' day had become, a place of exile where God's true people had become unrecognizable. And when we understand what Matthew is doing, it might be easy to point the finger at those awful Pharisees and comment often about how bad they were. But the text demands that we don't leave it there. (laughs) Could it be that some of our own modern-day religious systems and practices have had a similar outcome? Have we created a place within the church where we condemn people by their job titles and their practices? And all of that while refusing to consider the condition of their heart. Well, (laughs) of course that's the case. And that's what the old switcheroonie should do. It should cause us to question our own presuppositions and practices as we seek after the heart of God. Well, that's all I've got for today's introduction to Matthew's Gospel. And I'm glad you're walking through it with me. It's going to be quite a journey. It's going to take quite some time, and there will be many surprises along the way. And I hope you're looking forward to it as much as I am. And if that's the case, I bet you know somebody that would love to walk through this gospel journey with us. Would you consider just reaching out to them today and saying, you really got to start listening to the Rethinking Scripture podcast.